Travels with John Smith, Year 2, 2012-2013, Chapter 19, Kunming, Part 1, Yunnan Province. We are waiting at the Kunming airport for the guide to pick us up. The flight was late leaving Wuhan, so we hope the guide is still here. We've tried both exits and there's no one with a sign that says John O. Smith. John was very excited about the fact that someone would have a sign with his name on it and hopes it will be the first of many. I am hoping this is not an indication of how this trip will go. We decided to book a tour after being told by Bryn, who was here last year, that it was one of the most beautiful places in China. It was expensive, but worth it, as we looked up all the highlights of Yunnan that we really wanted to see and let them do the organization. We had to book our flights to Kunming, but the rest was taken care of. We call the travel agent we book through and get the name and number of our local guide, Richard. He is at a different exit and seems upset and worried that he missed us. He reminds me of one of my students, even though he is in his late 30s or early 40s. He is very sweet, a little tortured and apologetic and friendly. He won't let me carry my bag, starts chattering right away, and both John and I warm to him. He is intelligent with a lovely sensitivity about him and is knowledgeable about Yunnan. As he speaks, I think... I should write some of this down. He introduces us to our driver, Mr. Wong, who does not speak English, but also seems very friendly. They take us to our hotel, which is in a back alley, and they ask what floor we want to be on. I stupidly say the sixth floor and find out there is no elevator. The room is pretty basic, but seems to have everything we need. There is shampoo, combs, toothbrushes, and toothpaste, but very small rolls of toilet paper in the bathroom. I take this as a bad sign. There is a courtyard in the center of the building with a little pond full of goldfish and a miniature bridge crossing over it. It looks like a Chinese motel. It's colder in Kunming than it is in Wuhan, and I think I should have brought a jacket. We dress quickly and go downstairs where we are taken to see the city gate and then a street market. It is so good to have Richard there to answer questions about different food we see and he fills us in on the local customs and the area. There are 23 minority groups living together in harmony, it seems, and since there are only 50 minority groups in all of China, the main concentration of different cultures is in Yunnan. We go to a park where there are many retired people. People retire here as early as 45 years old. They are hanging out together, dancing or singing in groups spread across the park. One man is dancing with two huge red Chinese fans, to some traditional Chinese music, and in another area there are people dancing to disco. There are people playing Chinese instruments and others singing and dancing in army uniforms 
or smoking cigarettes looking on. There are great characters everywhere. It is a photographer's paradise. John takes many videos of various people dancing. I find a, a shop in the park that sells traditional clothing and buy a padded embroidered jacket to keep me warm. Richard takes us to a very nice restaurant called Bamboo Gardens. It is decorated in a very trendy upmarket Chinese fashion. The food is delicious and it is situated in a bamboo garden. We invite him to join us. He seems uncomfortable about this, but after some insistence, accepts. We have been dropped off at a theater where there is a performance that Richard says will make our hearts ache. He is right. It is a mixture of singing and dancing that includes many different minorities. Bai, Dai, Yi, Naxi, or Nashi, Mozi, etc. They are dressed in colorful traditional costumes and there are moments of high energy with drums and percussive instruments and dancing at the same time. The peacock dance begins with one dancer behind a screen and ends with about 30 people in amazing costumes dancing in and on a snow-covered stage. Some of the costumes and physical characteristics of some ethnic groups remind both of us of North American First Nations people. We have a theory that has been growing since we got to China, and we are not alone in this theory. If the Chinese have been navigating around the world for such a long time, maybe longer than most people think, perhaps some of them ended up in North and South America. Food for thought. We are eating breakfast with all the Chinese tourists, because everyone has this week off. Our tour said the hotels were chosen for their Western breakfasts, but there is nothing Western about this. They did have eggs and asked how we wanted them cooked, half or fully cooked. We thought we might get a runny yolk if we said half, but the eggs have arrived raw with the edges white. We stick our eggs inside the bowl of rice noodles everyone else in the room is eating, and I add some chili and Chinese pickle to mine. There are mooncakes too, and this is the mid-autumn festival, which coincides with the first full moon in autumn, when people in China give mooncakes or yue bing to their friends and family, so we finish our breakfast with those. We drive to the Stone Forest, which is about a 40-minute drive outside Kunming, and on the way we have a conversation about the people of China with Richard. He speaks with a heavy sadness and is quite honest about what it is like for most people here. It is a rare moment of honesty, and after this we are silent for a while. We arrive at the stone forest and he goes back to looking after us and laughing in a happy-go-lucky way and does not mention it again. The stone forest looks like a place I visited in Arizona with my friend Hilde on our Thelma and Louise Without the Guns tour, which is another story. There are amazing rock formations that were at some point way back in the past 
completely underwater and eroded away. Then the water was gone and the rocks remained. It is limestone and mostly a gray color, I imagine from age, but in some places is rubbed through to the yellow-orange color of the limestone. We walk through, and at various places there are people playing traditional instruments and or dancing while we wander through the corridors and walls of stone. There are little clearings and steps and places where people have touched the same spot so many times it has become shiny and smooth, sensual to touch. I imagine it would have been a wonderful place to live, sheltered caves in some places, clear pools of water to drink from, something like the rocky palaces of the elves in Lord of the Rings. We have lunch on the way back to the city in a strange little place. The food is okay, though one of the dishes is chicken with bones that have been hacked through, not my favorites due to sensitive nature of my teeth. On the way out, we notice it is like a Chinese deli, and there are dishes you can take away. I take pictures as they include roasted grasshoppers, roasted maggots, and roasted who-knows-what. When we get back in the van, John and I fall into a light sleep, and I hear Mr. Wong talking away as Richard rests his voice from all the information he has been giving us. We are early for the plane to Jinghong, so they take us to a tea-tasting place where a beautiful young girl named Li Ni from the mountains takes us through the ritual of tasting different types of tea. We learn that with some types of tea, you should pour the first batch of tea out to clean the tea leaves. With others, it is okay to drink the first batch, but the water should not be too hot. Then there is the Pu'ar tea, which is like a fine wine, and a good one is the price of gold. It is packed together in various shapes and sizes, some that look like decorations for the house. It is left for many years before it is consumed. She says more than ten years old is better. Every tea has a particular quality and or taste, and there is an art to the consumption of it. There are also medicinal qualities to various teas. We learn of the tea root, which is similar but shorter than the famous silk root, the root the Chinese took west to North Africa and Europe to trade silk. The tea root is where the Chinese took their tea as far as Tibet, where the people who lived in the mountains and ate mostly meat used tea as a vegetable replacement. We learned many other things that I have already forgotten. We left the place of uh, quite a few yuan poorer, but we felt like we could make our lives better with all the tea we bought. We drive to the airport and eat dinner there before catching our flight to Shishong Bana. We are still in Chapter 19, Yunnan, but this is Part 2. Jing Hong, Shishong Banan, Year 2, 2012-2013 to 
This part of the tour is not going well. Tony, our guide, brings us to what we think is the start of the jungle, but it's a kind of zoo. We pass some cages with snakes and lizards and an area with lots of butterflies, and we are told we will see a show. Some young men dressed in skins with long hair jump about unenthusiastically. Some pretty girls wander around the stage for a bit, and an announcer who sounds like a game show host speaks into a mic in between these two things. It is a very bad version of part of the wonderful show we saw in Kunming on the first night. We were asked to sit down, and some women ask if we want a massage, so the two of us are weakly prodded as the show starts. We sit politely, and finally the show is finished. We are moved on to another area, which is very crowded with Chinese tourists, and it gets louder and louder with people shouting into megaphones. It starts raining and feels like being on Oxford Street on a Saturday afternoon, dodging people's umbrellas, elbows, and feet. We are ushered up to another noisy outdoor theater, and African parrots are brought out to do some kind of show, and I ask Tony if there are any birds that were actually from this part of the world here, and he says there is one, but most were from Africa. He clocks the look on my face as I am thinking, what are we doing here, and where is the jungle? He says we don't have to stay here, and I am relieved. The noise and the amount of people are really getting to me at this point, and I feel sorry for the birds. It, get, it gets worse. He says there is an elephant show now, so we go even though we are not comfortable about this, as we came, hopefully, to see wild elephants. We are a little early, so we get a seat in the upper area where there are, uh, again, lots of girls offering massages. I see one girl insisting on giving an older man a massage after he has refused several times, and he gets up yelling at her to stop. The elephants are in the center of a kind of rodeo pen being ridden by children and people who want their pictures taken. The elephants do all sorts of tricks, including standing on two legs, balancing on stools, and walking on tiny walkways. One of them puts a hat on a girl from the audience's head and kisses her with the end of his trunk. There's also one elephant that shakes his head in answer to the questions the announcer is asking, and it looks like the, the crowd is loving it. A man suddenly gets up and starts fighting with another man in the audience. It gets quite heated with chairs flying and eventually some guards break it up. The elephants stop the show and look on calmly until it's over, like they are the only sane beings here. We are walking through the jungle, hoping to see some wild elephants, and so far we have seen some wild monkeys playing in the treetops above our path, many exotic plants, including one if ingested will induce a deep sleep which appears to be death. When I saw the information online about Jing Hong, 
They said there was a hotel in the trees in the jungle where you could stay to see the elephants come out to the watering hole at night. But we were told it had closed. The buildings are still here and we walk past them on a kind of wooden bridge high above the ground. They are individual small cabins on top of tall, thick, tree-like poles, so very much like being in a treehouse. They look like they have been abandoned for some time, but I try to imagine what it would have been like listening to the sounds around us through the night. This is a tropical rainforest, and to get to this part of the jungle, we rode for about a half hour in an open cable car, which is always a test of faith for me, as I am frightened of heights, especially when there is no glass surrounding us. So it feels like we are far away from civilization. It was a beautiful ride, though, high above the thick bamboo jungle flora and epiphytes. <laughs> That's a word from John. The cable cars coming in the opposite direction were filled with Chinese tourists who mostly smiled and waved, saying, Ni hao, if they were older, and hello, if they were children, their parents wanting them to practice their English. The only other foreigners we saw were a small German family. The Chinese were saying hello to them too. I am grateful we have not seen any strange insects, apart from a giant wasp creature that was attracted by John's Coca-Cola. Those of you who know about my wasp phobia can imagine how excited I got about that since there was nowhere to run. Tony seems to be knowledgeable about the jungle, but he's doing the strict minimum of what he has to do as a guide. This may just be part of his laid-back character. Tony is a mixture of Chinese Han and Dai on his mother's side. Most of the people here in Shishong Bana, or Shishuang Banana, as Tony calls it, do not look Chinese, and the city of Jinghong does not look like China. It is only 30 minutes to an hour away from the northern borders of Laos, Burma, Vietnam, and Thailand, so it makes sense that it feels more like that part of the world. Tony points to a waterhole where there are tracks near the cabins. He says the locals say they haven't seen the elephants today, and I feel disappointed as I knew it was a long shot but was hoping we would get lucky and see the elephants in the wild. I think of the tourists who came to the British Columbian coast, get on a boat hoping to see a whale, and are lucky if they see a seal bobbing in the water. Tony says there are about 400 wild elephants in the jungle, but I guess they are not going to hang around for the photo op. There are plenty of plants along the trail, he tells us about, and butterflies of all sorts all over the place. There is a large black one with blue colors on its wings that has been following, or possibly guiding us, for quite a while, who lets me take a few pictures of it. I am just happy to be in such a beautiful place. Tony points out some tracks 
coming down the side of a steep hill and says they are elephant tracks. He says the elephants don't mind going up the hill but hate coming down it. This one looks like he was slipping and sliding, so I can see why they don't like coming down. The jungle is calming, and it has taken away the feelings I had this morning. Tony says we will come out a different way, and the driver will be there to drive us back to the city. We decide to walk down to the bridge that crosses the Mekong River, where there are many restaurants. We get lost and walk further than we needed to, but we are now eating a, a huge meal of very spicy crab that was delivered with no tools. The Mekong River is the one that continues down into Vietnam, but I think this is where it starts. Now we are in a cute little cafe called the Bana Cafe, playing cards, drinking tea, and John is teaching me how to play two-handed whist. He wins two games, and I win one. We start to walk back to the hotel and stumble across a night market where they are selling all kinds of jade from Burma and various other items. We do some negotiating and come away with some goods. It is now later in the evening. I am taking pictures of some of the signs in the hotel which do not make sense. There is an instruction booklet with a page on how to use the telephone that starts with secret agent phone, a sign that is to do with keeping valuable safe that says warm and prompt police, and another warning about slipping in the tub that says warm tips carefully slide. The hotel is better than the one in Kunming. There is an elevator, a flat-screen TV, and beds that are a little larger than the ones in Kunming. But again, the toilet rolls are tiny. The view out of our window is similar to the one we had in Phnom Penh, a mixture of buildings and many palm trees. We have breakfast, which is also billed as a Western breakfast, but is really rice noodles, whatever is left from last night's dinner, steamed broccoli or oily stirred Chinese cabbage and a boiled egg. We are getting used to it. Soon we will catch our flight to Dali.